Sunday is a big day on CBS. Still waiting in the wings to bring you a variety of entertainment are Rocky Jordan, Horace Height, Our Miss Brooks, Evelyn Knight, The Whistler, and Red Skelton. Now, Del Monte Foods brings you a world of adventure with Rocky Jordan. Fendi Jordan. Fendi Jordan. Huh? I don't remember us meeting. No, sir. You have not met Fatim. But still, we have business. Observe this which is in my hand. Is it real? Oh, most assuredly. $1,000 bill. American money. Now watch. I have turned same into two pieces. And the small piece I give to you. The other I keep myself. Oh, you're a magician. And you're going to put the pieces together again. In a way, Fendi Jordan, you are correct. Both pieces can be yours if you will go to see Madame Dulac, 16 Sharia Ramesi second. Why pick on me? Because it is well known in Cairo that you are a man who for money would brave danger. Madame Dulac's home then, as soon as possible. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Yes, Del Monte, the best-liked brand of canned fruits and vegetables in the whole wide world, takes you now to the Cafe Tambourine for another adventure with Rocky Jordan. The Cafe Tambourine in Cairo, gateway to the ancient East, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's Rocky Jordan story, Madame Dulac's Daughter. His name was Fatim. He'd stopped me walking through the Muski Bazaar and had given me half of a thousand-dollar bill, American money. He'd said the other half would be mine if I dropped in on a Madame Dulac. Well, for a grand, I figured it was worth looking into and the danger wouldn't begin until I said yes. 16 Sharia Ramsey II was in the high-rent district, a large two-story white building that spelled money. Even before I could ring the bell, the door came open and an eager young girl dressed to leave stood there. Hello. Hello. Now, let me see. Mama hired you to drive the limousine. No. Mama hired you to take her to Karnak. No. Mama hired you to, uh... Oh, of course. That's why. Hamar, someone to see Mama. Yes, Miss Sandra. And Hamar, I'm leaving now. If Mr. Morrow calls, tell him I'll meet him at the track. Goodbye, cutie. Wish me lots of winners. You are Mr. Jordan. Fatim said to expect you. This way, please. Hey, uh, she goes with a house, I take it. Madame Dulac's daughter by a late marriage. Uh. Eighteen years of age. Anxious to be older. Uh, that door, sir. The madame is inside. You may go in. Thanks. The door opened into a bedroom. Madame Dulac's. Pale green walls, mahogany furniture, short on the ornate. Madame Dulac herself was in bed, propped up with a couple of silken pillows. Well, don't stand there in the doorway. There's a draft. I moved to the bed and got a closer look at her. Late 50s, early 60s. White skin, small features, strong chin. Deep-set eyes with a lot of brightness in them. But it was the extra strong light of the candle before it burned out. You have your half of the thousand-dollar bill? The other half is on the table there. It's yours. Just like that. Shall we now talk about a more important matter? Well, for a thousand dollars, I'll talk about anything. You have seen my daughter? 
I ran into a light breeze in the other room, if that's who you mean. Mr. Jordan, that girl has had everything. Schools in Switzerland, travel around the world, books, art, music. Now the only reading matter she is interested in is the racing form. The only art, how to pick a winner. The only music, the trumpet call, signaling the horses to the post. She's gay, selfish, proud, and obstinate. Owen, you're ruining my suit. It's ruined anyhow, the ink from the inkwell. Don't tell me. Red ink yet. My fee's gone up, Grayson. Up. Two thousand plus forty-nine seventy-five. The price of this suit. A while later, on the street outside the Grayson offices, a motorist tooted me over. A long hair driving a sky blue pink jalopy. I let him pick me up. You paging me, friend? Uh, yes, I, I'd like to talk to you. What about? Uh, if you'll get in, we can go somewhere. I'll buy you a drink. Oh, buttermilk. There's a buttermilk bar over on 8th Avenue. In the buttermilk bar, we had a chat for the books. I'm Oscar Sachs. I know that. I saw the photograph of you in the Grayson Publishing offices. Oh, well, there's some facts about the book contest I think you should know. Why? Why? You, you've been engaged by Mr. Grayson to locate Trent's missing manuscript. What am I wearing, a sandwich sign? I obtained the information through sources I cannot disclose. Give me those facts. I won the second prize of $5,000, but I was cheated. Cheated out of the big money, is it? Yes. Explain, please. The contest rules clearly specified that the award was to be made only to an American author. And? I have reason to believe Eric Trent is an Englishman, or anyhow other than an American. Uh, to put it bluntly, a fake who should be disqualified. Disqualified while you're moved up to first place and $50,000? Yes. Let's have your bill of particulars. Well, for one thing, Trent's way of talk. It's as English as the House of Parliament. Uh, another thing, Trent was somewhere overseas on a tramp island in English possession when he sent the manuscript in. That summarizes it? Well, there's more. Trent has a tattoo on his right arm. I happen to get a good look at it. It's a tattoo of the British flag. Would an American wear the British flag on his arm? They tell me Benedict Arnold did. You're really out to grab yourself 50 Gs. Well, why do you find that so odd, Craig? Just that I thought artists had no money sent. Well, I have, and I'm not apologizing for it. Okay, I've got your point of view, Oscar. Oh, yes, one little thing remains. Hold out your hands. Uh, hold out do my... Do what Papa asks. Red ink smudges on your right thumb. You've been playing with inkwells, Sonny. Oh, Craig, I didn't mean... Uh-uh, don't apologize. Fun's fun. And I like to play myself. My interest runs to sugar bowls. Oh, Craig, no! no. Oh. Eric Trent's address, furnished me by Grayson, was a rickety studio walk-up. Seventh Heaven in Bohemia, Greenwich Village. The door opened on a blonde who eyed you as if she was already counting your money. Hiya. Hello. This is 6D, isn't it? That's what it says on the door. It's my astigmatism. Is Eric Trent in? No, but I am. Baby, I'm not a gentleman caller. So who's tough luck, would you call it? Come in. Trent said for you to wait if you simply had to see him. Trent expected me? Yeah. That Mr. Grayson, the publisher, he phoned and said you might be over. You're Barry Craig, the detective, he said. 
Uh, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. I'm Judy. Judy Joy. Well, come on in. I won't bite you. I was waiting for you to make that promise. I live right next door in 6E. I come in here to play the radio. Mine's out of order. Oh. That's Bummy Fiegelspan's orchestra you're hearing. Oh. It's on every day this hour. Mm -hmm. I get simply dilapidated if I miss hearing Bummy. Uh, come again. Did you say dilapidated? Yeah. Dilapidated, like frazzled. You know, fractured. Or were you correcting me on the words? Oh, no, no. Eric's always correcting me on the words. Imagine me keeping company with a real live author type. Oh, Jordan, it's like old times. Tell me, Eddie, which horse, horse did we have? We <laughs> had the winner, baby. But it's a photo finish, darling. Well, look who's here. Hello, cute stuff. Oh, you two met? Yeah, that's right. Her mother's house earlier today. Uh-huh. You're awfully nice. What's your name? His name's Jordan, but he's an also-ran, and don't forget it. Well, now that I get a better look at him, I don't like him. He looks too moral to me. We've got some unfinished business from San Francisco, Eddie. We gonna take it up here? <laughs> I'm not sore, Jordan. The old days are behind me. I'm in Cairo to have fun. Then you have got a deal on. It's the only way you've ever had fun. He's got some use for you, Sandra. And it's something you're not gonna like. Of course he's got some use for me. And I am going to like it. He loves me, Mr. Jordan. We're going to be married. Does your mother know? We're going to elope as soon as the meat closes and surprise him. Results of the third race. The winner, Harem King. Here's the win Please. to Cassandra. Go Happy cash it, baby. Bride. You did have Harem King. Fifty pounds at 11 to 1. Not bad. <laughs> Four wins yesterday, three the day before. I'll be right back. <laughs> Picking a lot of winners, huh, Eddie? <laughs> oh, enough. Now go on, beat it, Jordan. You're not wanted. What do you figure is making you so lucky? Sunspots. Or maybe a system. I'd like to hear about it. <laughs> Next time that fist goes right through you, Jordan. Blow. Yeah, I'm going, Shark. One thing more, Eddie. Whatever happened to Eunice? Huh? Last time I knew you, you were good and married Leave to Eunice her. out of this, Jordan. I just thought I'd ask. She was a nice kid. Had a lot of love for you. Listen, wise guy. You keep pressing me like this, and you're going to end up horizontal. Now beat it. Well, something was up. That was clear. I was struck by the way Eddie reacted when I mentioned Eunice. She'd always been a big love of his. As I left the jockey club, my mind began to form a picture of her. Tall, slim girl, not too smart, but a dame with a kind of strange appeal. Then suddenly my eyes were telling my mind something else. They were telling me that standing by the cab stand, tall and slim, dark glasses covering her eyes, net veil covering her face was the woman in question. I moved up fast and grabbed her arm. What? Does uh, Eddie know you're at the track, Eunice? Huh? I don't know you. Raise the glasses. Rocky Jordan, San Francisco, remember? Oh. Eddie, or Tony Bristol, if you like, and I were just talking about you. Does he know I'm in town? Does he know I'm here, Rocky? Come on. Get in the cab, Eunice. Uh, drive it around, cabbie. What's Eddie doing in Cairo, Eunice? He's making a pile off the races. How? I don't know what he's doing. You can fix one race, maybe, but you can't fix four one day, three the day before, and I don't know how many before that. What's his angle? Oh, that's a nice wedding ring you're wearing. I like it. You and Eddie still married? Why shouldn't we be? And what's that song and dance he gave me about marrying Sandra Dulac as soon as the meet's over? I don't know. Can't marry her after the meet unless he wants to play with bigamy. Even Eddie's too smart for that. So Sandra's getting a ride. That's her problem. What's it all about? 
How does it tie in with Eddie's big winnings? 342 Sharia, King George driver. I got nothing to say to you, Rocky. Yeah, all right, I'll work it out another way. Where's Eddie staying? Hotel North Africa. Oh, uh, pull up, cabbie. I'll get out here. Rocky. What? Don't tell Eddie I'm in town. Please don't, Rocky. No matter what. Why? It won't be good for me. That's why. At night, I dropped in on the cocktail lounge at the Hotel North Africa. See if I could pick up any stray bits of information. All I got for my pains was a big bar bill. But passing by the main desk on the way out of the hotel, I ran into luck. A little guy, double-breasted suit, gray suede gloves, racing form under his arm, was having words with a desk clerk. Good evening. I would like to leave this package for Mr. Morrow. Of course, Mr. Kramer. And uh, I believe Mr. Morrow has left an envelope for me once again? Oh, yes, sir. Here it is, sir. Good. Thank you, young man. Good night. Kramer slipped the envelope from Morrow into his inside coat pocket and left the hotel. I followed Half a block down the street, under the glare of a street lamp, he stopped, took the envelope out of his pocket, and removed the contents. A pack of Egyptian pound notes. That's when I moved up to him fast. Uh, the light, mister? Eh? Oh, yes, of course. Here, I have a lighter. Your uh, cigarette is lit. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Uh, good night. Just a minute, Kramer. We have met? I understand you've got a great way to beat the horses. Who are you, young man? Why should that matter? Just say I'm right. You have got a way to beat the horses. All it takes is a guy like Eddie Marrow and a young girl. Say, uh, Sandra Dulac. Really? That money you got there. Track winnings. I do not believe I know what you are talking about. Now, uh, good night, young man. He put the money into his pocket and walked away. I started to follow, but I didn't get three steps. Bad men is to follow strangers, Jordan, unless they're women. Oh, shark. That's when my conversation stopped. Shark's fist steamed down at the right side of my jaw, and my eyes began looking at each other. It swung again, I was rolling in the gutter. By the time I picked myself up, Shark was gone. But what was more important, the little guy named Kramer was gone, too. And with him went the secret of how he was beating the horses. How he and Eddie Marrow were using Madame Dulac's daughter, Sandra. Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. It's usually true when you have roast on Sunday, there'll be leftovers on Monday and maybe Tuesday and Wednesday, too. And here's something else that's true, Larry. There's nothing that livens up the flavor of leftover meats or cold meats anytime like Del Monte catsup. That's because Del Monte catsup is such a zesty, lively catsup. A catsup that really gives other foods a great big lift. And what's more, I've noticed Del Monte catsup has the kind of spiced tomato flavor men folks want. A kind of flavor that's a real friend to plain foods. And speaking of friends, vine-ripe red tomatoes and fragrant spices never had such a friend in catsup as that marvelous pineapple vinegar Del Monte uses. It's extra fine to coax out extra flavor. Believe me, the way pineapple vinegar brings out rich, tangy, spiced tomato goodness is a pleasure to taste. And this wonderful vinegar is exclusive with Del Monte. No other catsup has it. Well, I know that thousands and thousands of women out here in the West wouldn't think of buying any other brand. They like Del Monte flavor, and they like Del Monte's economical price. So remember, for the zestiest, liveliest catsup ever, be sure your next bottle is Del Monte catsup. 
And now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's Rocky Jordan story, Madame Dulac's Daughter. Well, it all began when Madame Dulac wanted her daughter Sandra out of trouble. Trouble being a little concoction mixed by Eddie Marrow, the ingredients of which still remained unknown. But little man Kramer, who had the pleasant task of picking up envelopes stuffed with money, seemed worth talking to. Talk one was a failure. It ended up with me in the gutter and Kramer flying the coop. But I got another chance the next day at the races. I found him in the grandstand, adding figures in a small book. Ah, oh, having a big day, Kramer? Hmm? Oh, the young man from last evening. Hmm. You know, I've been thinking about what you said to me last night. Oh, good. But uh, I still do not understand what you mean. If you'd have stuck around a little longer, I'd have been more blunt. Well, feel free now to express yourself. What was in that package you left for Eddie Marrow at the desk at the Hotel North Africa? Books. Books, young man. I'm a book dealer. I have a shop in the Sultana Square. And that envelope Eddie Marrow left for you with the money. Payment for the books. It must come pretty high. Eddie Marrow's envelope to you had at least 500 pounds in it. I'm holding. Just exactly nothing. All right, I'll grab... What was that? You heard me. Well, I asked you what had been stolen. Yes, that's right. And you right. said exactly nothing. Right. That doesn't make sense. I know. But now you'll have to hurry to make your plane. Goodbye. Phil, just a minute. I'll be here and waiting for you. CBS Radio Network brings you Mandel Kramer and the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Mono Guarantee Insurance Company office in San Diego, California. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the double-barreled matter. <laughs> Expense account item one. After I had grabbed some breakfast and packed a couple of bags, five fifty for a cab out to Bradley Field. Item two, $180.40 plane fare to New York, to Los Angeles, to San Diego. Thanks to one of the newer jets on that swing across the country. It was only a few minutes after noon, Pacific time, that is, when the plane landed at San Diego's Lindbergh Field, which, incidentally, is only about a mile south of the city's main business district. San Diego, you know, was California's oldest Spanish settlement, the spot where California's modern history got its start. Also, I've heard, it's the town that has the ideal climate that Los Angeles talks about having. Anyway, it's a nice town with nice people. A busy naval and fishing port and a popular year-round tourist resort. The latter because of its miles of clean beaches, fine motels, and as I said, wonderful climate. I like it. Phil yesterday was waiting for me. We piled into his car, drove to his office, and he told me what it was all about. That's right, burglaries. But Phil, if nothing's been taken... Now look it up, Johnny. Burglary means breaking and entering with intent to commit a felony. Whether that felonious purpose is accomplished or not. All right, Mr. Webster, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> uh, when you've had to use those as definitions correctly, as often as I have in connections with insurance claims, well, 
The point is, Johnny, that Mr. and Mrs. Warner's apartment's been broken into some seven times now. Seven times in a row, over a period of about two months. Warner? Yeah, Charles Hastings Warner and his wife, Trudy. He's a... Well, now come to think of it, I don't know what he is. What he does for a living. But if the size of his insurance policies means anything, he does all right. His straight life alone has a face value of nearly a million. Mm. That could be, I suppose, that he simply retired out here. He came out originally from Chicago, I, I think. I see. Um, Phil, what do the police think about these burglaries? Well, that's just it, Johnny. They were never reported to the police. Why not? How did you find out about them? <laughs> My wife plays bridge a couple of times a week. One of the group is Trudy Warner. Well, Trudy told her, she told me, so I called up Mrs. Warner and got the story. All right, now answer the first part of my question. What, about the police? Mm-hmm. Well, she said that as long as nothing's been missing, her husband Charlie said there was no point in bothering them. But it kind of has truly worried, never knowing whether it's going to happen again or when they might clean out the place. Have you asked me, Johnny, I think it looks kind of peculiar. <laughs> That's the understatement of the week. Right. And I think we ought to do something about it. Seven times in a row, you said. That's right. And absolutely nothing taken. Absolutely nothing. Now, that is peculiar, Phil. Very. Well, that's why I called you up as soon as I heard about it. You know, one of these days, they'll find whatever it is they're looking for, and we'll find ourselves faced with a hefty claim. I wonder. Uh, what do you mean by that? I just wonder, that's all. Want to give me their address? Sure. And uh, you might call and tell them I'm on my way out. Hmm? Right. Uh, No. What? On second thought, just give me their address. Oh. Yeah. Expense account item three, $50 deposit on a rental car. The Warner's apartment was really a single detached cottage in back of one of the better hotels. Very nice, very exclusive, very expensive. Rather than go into all the details later, let me tell you right now that it was expensively furnished, too. Thick wall-to-wall -wall carpeting, fine furniture, everything very modern but in good taste. Obviously, the work of a high-priced decorator. As uh, for Mrs. Trudy Warner, well, she was 25 or 26, tall, statuesque and blonde, with just enough makeup to enhance her natural beauty. She had a rather distinguished look, a quiet sort of dignity in her bearing. She wore a housecoat of fine oriental silk, long jeweled earrings with enough diamonds to choke a horse, but also in good taste. A couple of bracelets and the gold band of her watch were set in gems, and I'm sure that the huge stone in one of her well-chosen rings was a genuine ruby. At first glance, this all meant wealth, social status, a blue blood. But when in response to my knock, she opened the door and then opened her mouth. Yeah. Mrs. Warner? Yeah, that's me. Who are you, huh? <clears throat> uh, my name is Dollar. Johnny Dollar. Yeah, I've never seen you around anywhere before. I doubt it. Well, then, listen, is, I'm... Uh, is Mr. Warner at home? No, he ain't. He's gone away for a couple of days. But no fooling around, Buster, so you better get back in your bicycle and scram. Goodbye. Uh, uh, just, just, just a minute. Hey, Mr. now, get Warner. your foot out of this door. You want I should scream for help or something? No, that won't be necessary. Believe me, I'm here because I represent your husband's insurance company. Oh, you do, huh? Well, can you prove it? Well, here, uh, let me show you my credentials. Oh, okay, okay. I'll take your word for it. 
Well, what do you want to see him about, huh? Well, about those burglaries you've been having. Oh, about those people busting in here, going through our uh, stuff all the time. That's right. Boy, am I glad to see you, Johnny. How'd you find out about it? Well, I uh, just happened to be here in town and talking with Mr. Easterday. Oh, yeah. I just knew I shouldn't have told that insurance guy's wife at that bridge the other day. And when he called me up and made me tell him more about it, but there wasn't ever anything stolen, so there wasn't anything he could do about it, he said. Only why Charlie wouldn't call the cops in, I'll never know. Hmm. May I come in, Mrs. Warner? Huh? Oh, yes, yeah, sure, come in. Thank you. But if Charlie finds out, I mean, he's not even wanting to bother the cops. Well, maybe he won't like this. I don't know why not. I'm glad you're going to do something about it, because I asked you, Johnny, what if I was to come in from shopping or something? I mean, like in broad daylight. Like like when Charlie was away like this, and maybe find somebody's busted in and was still here and pulled a gun on me or something. Sit down, huh? Oh, uh, thanks. These, uh... And these burglaries have all occurred while your husband was away? Uh-uh. No, it's always... Right after he's come home again, we've been out somewhere at night together. We do a lot of night clubbing and stuff. And even sometimes go up to L.A. Mm-hmm. And they always go through everything with a fine-tooth comb, even pulling up the rugs and taking the beds apart where they never steal nothing. I don't get it. I also don't like it, neither. No, I can't say I blame you. Uh, and, and your husband? Charlie? Mm. Well, all he says is it's probably just some crazy hoppin' or something or a psych... Uh, psychopath? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. And, and as long as he doesn't take anything, we should worry. Only I don't like it. Mm. But that's his only explanation, though, for nothing being taken. Well, that's his only one. Gee. I don't know how he can take it so... So cool and casual, but that's the way it is, Johnny. Just real cool and casual about everything. You could fire a gun under him. He wouldn't even blink his eyelash. Anybody ever tried that, firing a gun mm-hmm. under him? A nice, sweet guy like Charlie? Of course not. You want to drink, Charlie? Uh, Johnny. That's all right. No, no, thank you. Tell me, um, what's your husband do for a living, Mrs. Warner? Only it's Trudy, Johnny. No use being formal, huh? All right, Trudy. Only that's no invitation like you should get fresh or anything. You remember oh, that? Oh, indeed I will. I okay. remember that. Are you sure you don't want a little drink? No, I really don't. Thanks very much. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to have another one. Oh, you uh, If you pardon oh, me, please. you need to help yourself. You, uh, you started to tell me about your husband's business. Oh, he hasn't got any business, Johnny. At least not since I met him out here in Dago and married him. I see. You know what he did before? Well, why should I care, huh? As long as he keeps the money coming in and treats me good like he does. Is you sure, Johnny? Just to keep me company. No, I'm sure. Uh, if he has money coming in, uh, where does it come from, Trudy? So I'll give you the same answer he always gives me when I ask him. Well? Didn't you never hear the stock market? That's what he says. Oh, I see. Hmm. Uh, where did you say he is now? I didn't. But he's gone hunting like he always does. Always? Well, almost every week lately. Oh? Where do you know? Well, sure, I know. It's down near El Centro. You know where that is? Somewhere down near the border, I believe. Yeah, down there in all that farm country in the Imperial, um, something. Imperial Valley. Oh, <laughs> yes. I, uh, I understand there's a lot of dove shooting down there in the Imperial Valley. Yeah, doves or pigeons or whatever they are. I mean, he always calls them pigeons. Oh, yeah? Little tiny things, a lot of feathers, only you only get a mouthful out of them. I always get stuck. I have to cook them for him, <laughs> but he's always so nice to me, so why not? Sure. I'm a good cook, too, Johnny. 
You wouldn't believe it, but I am. Well, I'll bet you are. Uh, tell me, do you know where he stays down there? Well, sure. I always call him up on the phone every night while he's gone. It's the Bluebird Motor Court. It's a real swell place. I've seen it myself a couple of times when him and me was on our honeymoon. Uh, wh- when did he leave? Uh, early this morning. That means he won't be back until the day after tomorrow. Only what are you going to do about this burglar and bit, Johnny? Gee, I'm not sure yet, Trudy. Well, whatever it is, I sure hope you do. Only don't let on to Charlie I said anything about it, will you, honey? Well, if you won't, I won't. Oh, well, don't you worry about that. Not even a short one, Johnny? Just to keep me company? Well, no, I'm just a short one. More conversation, but no more information of any consequence. After the, uh, second short one, and just to keep her company, believe me, I left and drove to the nearest shopping section, picked up a handful of change, dove into a phone booth, and spent item four, 80 cents, on calls to all the stockbrokers in town. Not one of them had ever heard of Mr. Charles Hastings Warner. Okay. Item five, 390 for a call to an old friend of mine in Chicago, Pete Fuller, a feature writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. Charles Hastings Warner? Are you kidding, Johnny? You don't know who Chicky Warner is? Or rather, was when he was operating here in Chai? And you in the private eye business? Well, brother, leave me poor you an earful. I hope you got plenty of dimes to feed that slot machine you're talking through. I can only tell you this. By the time Pete Fuller got through giving me a rundown on Chick Warner, it suddenly began to look as though I'd got myself involved in one of the most important and possibly one of the most dangerous cases in my whole career. If you ever suffer a touch of arthritis or rheumatism and you've never tried mentholatum deep heating rub, you can't know how good its deep heating action can make you feel. As you massage it into painful areas, you feel its deep heating action. You know relief is on its way. Mentholatum deep heating rub is an extra strong combination of active ingredients for safe, temporary relief of minor arthritic rheumatic pain. Use greaseless, stainless mentholatum deep heating rub often. With Chick Warner due back in San Diego in less than two days, I decided that I'd better act fast. Act on a hunch? That's all it was, but for once I felt there was plenty of reason for it, and not because of the circumstances of the burglaries, but the character of the man I now knew I'd be dealing with. I spent item six in one of the local sporting goods stores. For a total of $314.61, I came out with some lightweight hunting clothes, a pair of bird shooter boots, a good quality double-barreled 12-gauge shotgun, and three boxes of shells loaded with number nine bird shot. I also bought a hunting license. I piled the stuff into my rental car and headed east on Highway 80, making time now because it was getting dark. A little over 100 miles later, near a place called Coyote Wells, I pulled off the road and gave the hunting clothes a little age and character by the simple expedient of driving the car over them a couple of times. When I got to El Centro, I took a room at the Bluebird Motor Court. Quite a place. Not only 20 or 30 nice modern motel cottages, but a big fancy dining room with a bar attached. And it was in the bar that I met Mr. Charles Hastings Warner. of about 50, tall, lean, gray, and with gray eyes, kind of a prominent aquiline nose, an almost prim sort of mouth with thin lips. It was late and the bar was almost empty, so it wasn't too hard to make conversation with him. Why, yes, 
As a matter of fact, I am here to do some pigeon shooting. How'd you know? Oh, I, I didn't, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Warner, is it? Yeah. I just hoped to find somebody around here who could tell me where to go for some birds. I took a chance on talking to you, and it looks as though I picked the right man. Oh, I can tell you where to go, all right. Find lots of pigeons. Aren't they really doves, though? Dollar, the way you can knock them off so easy, I like to think of them as pigeons. <laughs> uh, another drink, maybe? Yeah, I'll buy it. You bought the last four. Oh, that's all right. Don't worry about it. Waiter, a couple more of these. Yes, sir. If uh, you can lead me to some good shooting, it's certainly worth a couple of drinks. Lead you? Well, do you mind if I kind of tag along with you tomorrow? Well, I mostly like to go alone, Dollar, but sure, sure. Why not? Good. I'll make two of you. Two of us? Yeah, yeah. I promised some other guy I'd let him come along. His name is Al Melford. No. When he hurt in the bot and uh, somebody that I always bring in the pigeons, he latched on to me. Bought me a couple of drinks like you did. So he couldn't turn them down. Mm -hmm. Besides, maybe it's good to have a couple of witnesses along. Witnesses? Sure. To what? You know, to see I don't come back with over my limit. Oh. What'd you think? Well, I know. Yeah. Also, I don't know how good a shot this Al Alfred is. Just met him today, so you... You can be along to make sure you don't blow my head off by mistake. <laughs> You're not serious. Well, uh, a man has a gun on him. You never know. Remember that. Early the next morning, far too early for my money, it was long before sunrise. The three of us, Chick Warner, Al Milford, and I, set out in Warner's car. We headed south across the flat desert and farmland to and through Calexico. Within spitting distance of the border, we turned right and then hit a narrow, dusty road that wound around so much I wondered a couple of times if we weren't getting a little too close to Mexico. Al Milford, by the way, put me on guard. 35 or so, there was a kind of shiftiness about him that I didn't like. I began to wonder if I'd walked myself into a trap of some kind. Finally, Chick stopped and deployed us around a vast, heavy cover of what I believe they call deer brush. Oh, there must have been several acres of it, and mesquite and sage that was higher than my head. Al went to the north end, I to the west, and Warner to the south, and we waited. Sure enough, as soon as the sun came up, as Warner had promised, the birds started rising. For the next 10 or 15 minutes or so, I had more action than I'd ever dreamed possible in bird shooting. But I noticed two things. Chick Warner's shooting was only one blast at a time. And more important, after the first big flurry, there wasn't a sound from Al's gun. I worked my way slowly, cautiously toward the spot where Chick Warner supposedly had his stand. What I came on stopped me in my tracks. Al Milford, lying prone, his shotgun aimed toward the spot where Warner should have been, and beside him in reach, a thirty-eight revolver. As I sneaked up on him, he suddenly quietly swung around, and I found myself staring into the barrel of that gun. Judge, take it easy, Doctor. Yeah. Before you do anything silly, just take a... Take a look at these. My credentials. Catch. Credentials? Hmm? I know who you are, but you don't know who I am, so you better look. You think I'll argue with you as long as... Oh. Yeah. Narcotic score. That's right. Now listen. Put down your gun and listen before he gets back here. Sure. 
He's been quiet for quite a while now, so I think he made his haul. What? Don't you see? We know how he gets the stuff across the border. Stuff? White stuff. Heroin. Pure, uncut heroin. I figured as much from his record in Chicago. Now he picks it up on these so-called hunting trips. From a contact just across the border. Yeah, and he always has company. A witness who would swear he just came out here shooting. Sometimes one of our men. But none of them has ever found the stuff on him. Then those raids in his apartment. Yours. I didn't say that, Johnny. But strip him down. Strip his apartment, there's never a sign of it. Yet somehow he's not only getting it, but storing it, then spreading it around up north. And somehow I've got to find out what he does with it after he picks it up here. Where he hides it. You'll never know that. Warner. All right, Warner. No. No, Dollar. You reach for that gun, you get this other barrel. That wasn't any birch I'd hit him. That was a slug. I can see that. Okay. Pick up that handgun of his. With your left hand. Toss it over here. But real careful. Go on, do it. I say, toss me his gun or I give you this other barrel. What's the matter, you blind? I only used one shot on him. This gun's a double. Can't you see that? Sure, I want it. Do like I tell you. You want this other barrel? Yes, Warner, I think I do. Stay back or you'll get it. Stay back. Stay back. Clever, Warner. Clever hiding place when you took the home. Get back. Not even the experts could find it. There at your cottage. Get back, I tell you. And out here, after birds, only one shot at a time. Hmm? That's what gave you away. You hear me? I'll pull this trigger. And let the hammer fall on the barrel full of the white stuff that it's loaded with? Why bother, Warner? Okay. Okay, Dollar, listen. I'll make a deal with you. The stuff in this other barrel is worth a lot of dough. You want to talk? You want to make a deal? Sure. Sorry, Warner. I'm afraid the only deal I'll make with you is... this. Ah! All right, Al, are you still with us? Sure. Sure, Johnny, but you just caught my arm. If you can carry me back to the car... Right, take oh. it easy, take it easy, Al. Oh. Our friend here comes around as a reward for his cleverness. We'll let him carry you back. That one shotgun barrel loaded with heroin? Sure, it was only a guess, but thank heaven it was the right one. You know, for a second there, I was afraid he might have a shell in it. Expense count total, including the trip on back to Hartford. Call it 760 even, and cheap at half the price. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, one of the rottenest rackets in the world, but a story with a real twist at the end. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is written by Jack Johnstone, produced and directed by Bruno Zerato Jr., musical supervision by Ethel Huber. Johnny Dollar is played by Mandel Kramer. Also featured in our cast were Santos Ortega as Charles Warner, Elizabeth Lawrence as Trudy, Court Benson as Phil Today, Carl Frank as Al Milford, and Robert Dryden as Keith. Be sure to join us next week, same time, same station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Art Hannah speaking.
There are a handful of talents newly come up on the show business scene who seem to be headed straight for the big time. There's that ukulele player, a red-headed fellow named Arthur Godfrey. Then there's this crew-cut chap who calls himself Gary Moore. In Hollywood, a youngster by the name of Art Linkletter runs a show called House Party. Also on the coast, there are two youthful hopefuls called Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney. They're all here to entertain you on the CBS radio network each Monday through Friday. Let's run down the lineup again. Arthur Godfrey Time, Art Linkletter's House Party, the Gary Moore Radio Show, and the Bing Crosby, Rosemary Clooney Show, weekdays. You'll find them all right here. Crosby and Clooney every weekday on the CBS radio network. This is Kelly Maddox, Executive Secretary of the Citizens Traffic Commission, with another safe driving tip. As a motorist, do you give the proper signals for turns and stops? Always before you slow down, turn, change lanes, or stop, make sure that other motorists know in advance what you plan to do. Use either hand or mechanized turn signals. As a precautionary measure, use both. Give signals distinctly by extending your arm well out of the car window. Your hand pointing to the ground means slow or stop. Your hand extended straight out means a left turn. And your hand pointing upward means right turn. If you use mechanical signals, check them often to make sure that they are functioning okay. And check your brake or stoplights. And if bulbs are burned out, replace them immediately. The Citizens Traffic Commission reminds you that the best way to tell a good driver from a bad one is to watch if the proper signals are given. Be safe. Signal your intentions at all times. Broadway's my beat. From Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. In just a moment, Rocky Jordan returns to conclude tonight's story. The good old summertime is still a long way off, but if you'd like a preview of it right now, I can't think of a better way than to suggest that you try a nice big glass of Del Monte tomato juice. That's a good suggestion, Larry. Del Monte tomato juice is so natural tasting, you could close your eyes and imagine yourself in the middle of August eating sunny, warm tomatoes right off the vine. Del Monte certainly has captured the genuine article in fresh-tasting, natural-tasting tomato flavor. No two ways about that. It's so truly refreshing, one would almost think that the man who invented the word appetizer had Del Monte tomato juice in mind. Well, I know that for making appetites sit up and take notice, you just can't do better than Del Monte's fresh, tempting flavor. And that goes for morning, noon, or night. It's a downright satisfying between-meal drink, too. So why not enjoy this fresh-tasting, natural-tasting tomato flavor often? So good for everybody. Buy several cans of Del Monte tomato juice next time you're shopping and see how fine it tastes. Back now to Rocky Jordan for the conclusion of tonight's story.
I was standing in Eddie Marrow's hotel room, the win tickets for the day after tomorrow in my hand. Marrow and Kramer's secret, how to beat the horses the surefire way, wasn't their secret alone anymore. Well, Jordan, this saves me the trouble of going out looking for you. Just brushing up a little of my reading, Eddie. I know how you beat the horses. Real foolproof. Except it's somewhat illegal. So's murder. You were counterfeiting win tickets. Kramer made up the batch ahead of time. A counterfeit win ticket for every horse in the race. No matter which horse won, you won. And Sandra fronted for you. She cashed the phony tickets and never knew. I don't want to talk about that. There's something else between us. Yeah, I guess there is. Eunice. You got an alibi? A real good one. I loved her. Is that what gave her the shakes? She knew I wanted her away from Cairo until the job was done. She knew that if I knew she was in town, I'd have slapped her around and sent her home. Yeah, I guess that's one way to show love. It's my way. Well, that alibi won't stand up in court. This one will. Both Shock and I were in the bar at the Hotel North Africa at the time Eunice was killed. And the house stick and six other people can prove it. Yeah. Guess I made a mistake. You sure did. The police say you were there when Eunice was killed. Do they? Were you there by yourself? Look, you got revenge in the brain, Eddie. It's not gonna I'm going to get... even up Eunice's killing. Were you there alone, Jordan? He's off, Eddie. Your fuse is going to pop. Don't get nervous. You didn't kill her, Jordan. You had no reason. But someone else did. Someone you're covering for. And her name is Sandra Dulac. Eddie was half crazy with the idea of revenge. He turned and bolted for the door to find Sandra, and I moved to stop him. I grabbed him as he opened the door and pulled him back into the room. That didn't cool him any. He swung from the floor and put me on the side of the face, and it began. He was thrown with all his strength. And when he picked up a heavy ashtray and started hitting me with that, I began to hear bells. It was the phone. Only Eddie wasn't paying any attention. He was real busy. I was trying to keep him busy. Then when he lifted a marble book in and went for my head, I figured it was time to put a stop to the fun. I threw a right full into his face, stumbled backwards, rolled over the telephone table, and slumped to the floor. The phone went down with him, and the receiver came off the hook. Eddie, it's Shark. I got a bullet in me. Listen. What is it, Shark? Kramer. Eddie, Kramer. What about him, Shark? What about Kramer? Hang up the telephone, young man. I shall tell you about myself firsthand. I don't think you have to, Kramer. I know already. You killed Eunice. Because she never wanted Eddie in a deal with you. You were afraid she'd tip the scheme. I had no other cause but to shoot her. Even at the time she was preparing to telephone the police. I found her standing by the telephone. Just as you are now. Now it's my turn, huh? It seems so, young man. No, Kramer. It's your turn. Eddie. All right, Eddie. You squared things. Yeah. I guess you and I are even up to... Give me the gun. It's no good to anyone anymore. There. You want to phone Sabaya? Or shall I? I'll do it, Rocky. It's all over for me now. Anyway. Well, Sam took over. His men turned up Shark in Kramer's hotel room, still alive, and he was carted over to the police hospital. I went over to Madame Dulac's house and filled her and Sandra in on the details. Sandra was cleared. Madame Dulac got her daughter back, ruffled but wiser. Me? I've still got a problem. Remember the two halves of the $1,000 bill? Anybody got a piece of scotch tape? 
for the finest in tomato flavor, enjoy the whole family of Del Monte tomato products. Del Monte catsup and chili sauce. Del Monte tomato sauce and tomato juice. And Del Monte whole peeled tomatoes. Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Rocky Jordan, written by Gomer Cool and Larry Roman, stars Jack Moyles in the title role with Jane of Alois, Sam Sabaya, and is produced and directed by Cliff Howell, with original music composed and conducted by Richard Arunt. Remember, you have a date next week at the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. Same time, same station, and the story is paid in full. If it's gay summer flavor you want in a quick dessert or salad, serve Del Monte Fruit Cocktail. It's ready cut and ready mixed. A real flavor treat. So good and so good looking. Ask for Del Monte Fruit Cocktail. Larry Thor speaking. Rocky Jordan is presented over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.